0: So, <laughs> I was getting ready to uh, put my sermon on my iPad this morning. Well, it won't sync up, so now I had to print it, but then we ran out of white paper. And Now I got this cool green paper. Uh, hopefully I won't be fumbling too much, but uh, today we're going to look at the next three verses. Um, we're going to look at 5, 6, and 7. These verses are more of the, the characteristics of a believer in the Beatitudes. And the first one, verse 5, reads, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We're going to look at some of the characteristics of what makes up someone who is meek or humble. And guess where we're going to look? In God's holy word, right? That's where we look every week because our, our definitions, our opinions on this, they, they don't cut it. They don't suffice. So God's word says in Zephaniah 2.3, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth. Who have carried out his ordinances seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. In Proverbs sixteen nineteen, it is better to be humble in the spirit. Or it is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. 1 Peter three four. But let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. More in First Peter 5, 5. You younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Isaiah 66, 2. For my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. And Colossians three twelve. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now There are many more verses in Scripture that talk about meekness or humility. We won't read through all those this morning. Uh, But you can see throughout these verses that humility is a trait of a follower of Christ. It is something expected by God of us as one of his children. And not this false humility that kind of you kind of put your head down. You're like, oh, shucks. Who me? On one hand and with the other hand, you're like, yeah, keep it coming. Keep it coming. Right. It's not this false humility. That's just a, a thinly veiled pride. Meekness is not the same as having no passion or no zeal. Sometimes we think to be meek is to be kind of inward. Right. And not really expressive. And that's not the case at all. Right? We, we're all created with different personalities, and we are who we are. And God's not asking us to change our personality or who our makeup is. What he's saying is we have to be humble in our comings and in our goings, in our dealings with one another, in our recognition of who we are uh, compared to God. So we are actually supposed to have a very real zeal for God, a real passion for God. You know, when we read about what it's like in heaven, it's loud in heaven. There's a lot of shouting in heaven. There's a lot of singing in heaven. God dances over you in heaven. He takes joy in who you are and whirls around as if dancing. Jesus, when he sent the disciples out and they came back, he was so excited for them that he danced with joy. We are created as passionate people. We are created to have zeal. Our problem is we put that in places it shouldn't be. Our passion should be for the Lord. Everything else falls under that. I love my wife like crazy. But God is first. And she feels the same way. And she tells me that. I love you, but God is first. So if I'm doing something outside of what she believes God is is telling us to do, she'll tell me that. I tend to be a little slower about telling her that. (laughs) I walk a little more lightly. But our passion, our zeal in life needs to be for God first. And everything else falls underneath of that. So, it doesn't mean I walk around with my head down and take whatever comes my way. Being meek is knowing Where my help comes from. Being meek is knowing no matter what, God is with me. And I can walk through whatever it is because of God, because of Christ. Not because of any talent I have or any gifting I have, any skills I have or any knowledge I have. Because none of that was bred in me. All of that comes from God. Even those who don't believe in God all their skills and their talents, it all comes from God. So being meek is knowing that. It's knowing that this is not in and of myself. It is because of who God is. It's because of God's love for me and God's wisdom and God's provision. Being meek is actually getting excited when I realize that I can do nothing without Christ and then realize how much freedom is in that. I don't have to have all this pressure to quote unquote succeed or meet expectations. I can't do anything without Christ. I can't take my next breath without Christ. Colossians tells us that Christ holds all of creation together. I can't take a step, a breath, have a thought, nothing without Christ. Christ is all, God is all, Holy Spirit is all. And we don't seek recognition or fame or applause because we know the one who is deserving of all glory. And we are not that one. I have a real issue with people seeking recognition for things they do for God. I got a real problem with that. If I'm out here wanting to be patted on the back for the good things i do for 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 the lord then i'm not doing it for the lord i'm doing it for me that's not a very popular opinion you know a lot of people don't like that they're like well if you're doing something good you should be recognized Hey, why why who's it for it's for your ego that's who it's for I'm going to get off my soapbox about that part uh, right now. We're talking about Jesus right now. We're not talking about Dane's soapboxing. So let's look at verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hunger and thirst. Those are our two strongest physical urges. When I'm hungry, nothing's going to satisfy that but food. And when I'm thirsty, nothing's going to satisfy that but drink. Specifically, water. Have you ever like been real thirsty and drank a Gatorade? You're still thirsty. You're still thirsty. It's, specifically, it's water that will quench that thirst. So these two urges have dictated the movement of nomadic tribes for millennia. Right? They move from place to place. Seasonal. Lean times in our life when we're not sure about where that next meal is coming from. Right? These lean times, those two urges will define our comings and our goings. However, these two urges also drive our spiritual journey. Our spirit hungers and thirsts for satisfaction. And what is that satisfaction? It is the righteousness of God. Our soul, our spirit needs to be quenched. And Jesus has a couple of things to say about that. He has a lot of things to say about that. But we're going to read two specifically said by him this morning. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. John uh, John 4.14, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, Christ knows what we need. He knows that my spirit longs longs to be satisfied. My soul longs to be satisfied. You know, how many times have we heard people say, well, I just need to go find find out who I am. I need to go find myself. You know, have you ever heard anybody say that? I need to find myself. And what are they really saying? My soul needs to be satisfied. I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied with this life. I'm not satisfied with who I am right now. My soul is longing. And Christ is that satisfaction for our soul. Other scriptures Psalm 63 1, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, and my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 42 1 and 2, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Oh God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. It was important that David prayed this, right? There's a lot of these scriptures that talk about how our soul thirsts and hungers for the righteousness of God because we are not righteous. We cannot be righteous or make righteous. It is Christ only who is righteous. And makes us righteous in the sight of God. That doesn't mean I'm righteous in your sight. It means I'm righteous in the sight of God. See, we have a whole societal thinking of what righteousness looks like. And I'm going to tell you right now Jesus Christ is not confined to our society or culture. This is not very popular either, but Jesus Christ is not American, He's not American. He's not Israeli. He's not Palestinian. He's not European or African. Jesus Christ is from heaven. And regardless of what our society tells us of how we should look or should act or should interpret Christ, it is this that tells us who Christ is. It is this that tells us who we are in Christ. Not whatever things society has come up with. Like, it's okay if you hurt me if I hurt you back because society says it's okay. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus said if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other. That's unpopular. And that's difficult. Who wants to be struck, right, and not strike back? No one. But Christ isn't about being popular. He's about the righteousness of God. And we hunger and we thirst for that. And that hunger and that thirst for righteousness is to look at Christ as something that is so necessary to living that I would literally die without it. Nothing else will satisfy my soul outside of Christ. And our longing for Christ should be what everything else in our life revolves around. Jeff said earlier that he's got a bunch of stuff, right? He said, i got a bunch of stuff, and if I don't use it to glorify Christ and to further the kingdom of Christ, then what's it for? It's useless. And I couldn't agree more. You see, even our stuff should not be about us. Status symbols. Who cares about that, right? Status symbols. I, I used to. I used to care a lot about that. I used to tell everybody I didn't care what anybody thought about me, but that was a huge lie. I cared a lot about what people thought about me, but I had this facade, you know, that, yeah, I don't really care. Tough guy facade. I don't care what people think about me. But the truth is, I did care. I did. But now I know from where my help comes, and I don't care what people think about me. I don't care if they think I'm a fool for Christ. Sold out to Christ. I mean, they're right. I am. I am. And that's what Scripture calls us to be: hunger and thirst. Church, I pray that we hunger and thirst for righteousness, and that we live our lives as those who have had our hunger and our thirst satisfied by Christ. You ever been to a really good restaurant and the food is just awesome, and you tell everybody about it? Man, this food here—it's ridiculous. We took um, we took Danae's nephew Isaiah to to dinner the other night and he got this meal isaiah always gets the most expensive thing on the menu um, and we tease him about it all the time and this time i was like man get what you want And he's like well i kind of want this i forget what it was seafood something or another so we're like fine get it so he gets it and he takes a bite and his eyes close and he sits back and he's like oh man He said, there's like 30 flavors going on in my mouth right now. He said, this is unlike anything I've ever had. You eat a meal like that, you're going to tell people about it. You're going to tell people how good this restaurant is, how satisfied you are or were when you left. Are we out there telling everybody about how satisfied we are with Christ, about how he... Took these longings and urges that nothing else would satisfy, and Christ satisfies better than any seafood meal we could have, better than any earthly relationship we could have. Verse seven: Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That's what it takes, man. I'm in trouble. It's hard to show mercy. I know I'm not the only one. You're all looking at me like, oh, who are you? I'm sorry that you have a hard time with that, sir. You know, it's tough. Being merciful is tough. We want retribution. That whole turn the other cheek thing, man, that's difficult. And this is where the rubber meets the road. Look, you don't just wake up one day and decide ah I'm merciful I'm showing mercy today you'll never make it you never make it it takes Christ it takes Christ it takes training it takes diligence discipline it takes Christ it's difficult and to be merciful means that I've been wronged or hurt or something else where some sort of justice would be seen as appropriate and then to forgive that trespass and show mercy Instead of seeking retribution. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had that done to you? That is humbling. It is humbling when you have hurt someone and they forgive you instead of hurting you back. Listen to some of these scriptures. James 2.13 for judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment luke six35 but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Colossians three: twelve and thirteen therefore is God's chosen people holy. And dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Ephesians 4 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. And Ephesians 5 1 and 2. Follow God's example, uh, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, Scripture is clear on mercy. We are to show mercy, not exact punishment. If you offend me, I am to be merciful. If I offend you, you are to be merciful. I'm not to do what society or culture says I should do. Christ tells us, don't be purveyors of justice. Be purveyors of mercy, kindness, tenderhearted. I used to worry about looking tough. Right? Don't cry. Got to be tough. When I was a kid... I was playing over here by the Y Oak, we were playing baseball, and one of the kids hit me in the stomach with a baseball bat, now my father would hate me telling this story, but the kid hit me in the stomach with a baseball bat, and I went home crying, and my dad asked me what I was crying about, and I told him, and he got on me, you know, he's like, did you hit him back, and I said no, and he took me to this kid's house, knocked on the door, and when the kid answered the door, my father made me hit him. That's what I thought we were supposed to do. That's what I thought a man was. You handle your business, right? Somebody wrongs you, you wrong them. You hurt me, I hurt you, kind of thing. And when I came to this knowledge of Christ, when Christ is like, no, no, that's not the way I work. Someone hurts you, you love them. Someone wrongs you, you forgive them. That's not easy that's difficult when people say that christianity is a crutch (laughs) yeah okay yeah i'll take that because i need it i need it i'm not strong enough i'm not strong enough to do what christ says on my own it is christ who is strong it is the holy spirit who is strong not us I mean, which requires the stronger faith? Which requires the greater trust that Christ is who Christ says he is? It's easier to exact punishment when we're wronged. But look back at what James said. For judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs judgment. We're all guilty of that. We're all guilty of that. But praise God, we can repent. And his mercies are new every day. And the weeping may last for the night, but the joy comes in the morning. Hallelujah. God is so good to us. So good to us that we ought to be excited about that. So we're to be merciful because all judgment shows the world. When we exact punishment as followers of Christ, this is what it tells the world. We are no different from you. We are exactly the same as you. The only thing we do different is we give lip service about something we don't really believe in. See, there's no refuge in Christ if mercy does not trump judgment. There's no peace in Christ if mercy does not trump judgment. There is no love in Christ if mercy does not trump judgment. We're to be a humble people of God, full of zeal for the Lord. For to hunger and thirst after righteousness as those who know where their eternal satisfaction, satisfaction comes from. Who have been shown mercy by Christ instead of the judgment we deserve. And are now a people of mercy to show the world that mercy trumps judgment. And that there is refuge and peace and love in Christ. Meekness, humility, leads to a hunger and thirst for righteousness which leads to being merciful. These beatitudes are in a specific order for a specific reason. The knowledge that we are to be meek, that it leads to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and it, that leads to being merciful. This knowledge should create in us a zeal for Christ that leads to a hunger and thirst for Christ's righteousness. A hunger and thirst for Christ's righteousness leads to, to us being merciful. Because we understand that we exist only in and because of God's mercy. And that mercy of Christ trumped our deserved judgment. While we were enemies of God, God still loved us and sent Christ for us. And we should live our lives accordingly. Amen.